Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mario's Minute. This is episode 27 for March of 2020. I'm your host, Mr. Mario 2011, and in case you do not know, this is a monthly podcast I like to do where sometimes I have a guest, sometimes I don't. I typically alternate between months on that, and I'll just talk about really whatever the hell I want to. Now, this is a podcast where I kind of talk about anything, so because of that, it is available on a few different places. If you're wanting to join in on the conversation, you know, in terms of comments and such, this is uploaded to my YouTube channel, Mr. Mario 2011, and typically comes out, you know, the last Wednesday of every month. Or if you want to get this in audio fashion, because this is a podcast, of course, you can just look up Mario's Minute on most of your favorite podcasting platforms and apps, and you should be able to find it there. Anyways, this is a month that I do have a guest with me here, so I guess as I always ask to my guest, who the hell are you? Uh, I'm Paul from Retro Gaming Arts. Well, thank you for coming on, Paul. I really appreciate it. Ah, dude, thanks for thanks for even asking and having me. Like that's that was what's up. Like I, I'd love to sit here and talk to you about video games and whatnot for an extended period of time. <laughs> well, perfect. That's exactly what this is for. We'll talk about video games, life, whatever the hell we're going to talk about here. I have I have a few topics here, but we might hit them, we might not. We'll see. So for anybody who doesn't know about you, Retro Gaming Arts, I guess what would be your spiel about that? Oh, um, PlayStation 2, um, Sony, a lot of like mod work on those <laughs> systems. Um, I never, I, am just recently realizing this about myself. Like I went and like looked at my own channel and I just like, like looked at the different types of videos and I was like, wow, Sony, 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 Sony. I've never mentioned the Nintendo DS, uh, just very, very, a lot of like mod work related, a lot of soldering. I try to be like really, really informative about like the style and, um, the techniques that I use with, uh, soldering and, uh, for all sorts of different mods, but primarily a lot of like Sony related stuff. For sure. Yeah, I, I know you uh, you really pride yourself on having the cable porn all in your systems and such when you're modding them up, mainly like PS2 mod chips and such from what I've seen. Yeah, that's a big one. And to be honest, like I've never even said this on my channel, but that's literally a metaphor for, for me as an individual. And... <laughs> For real, like, like um, I, I, I want what I want to do is I want to take a mod and I want to do it so incredibly well, and I want to just perfect it and just get better at it and get better until and just continue because that's what I want to do as like an individual, and that's the message that is like underlying in like a lot of like my videos and and stuff like that is that no matter what it is that you're doing, whether it be soldering, editing, making music, doesn't matter what it is, like you can always strive and achieve and. And, and take it to the next level and do more. And uh, that's the underlying purpose of my entire channel. Oh yeah, I really respect that. I and, and that's one thing I've noticed with your channel too. You don't necessarily have, they're not tutorials per se, but you kind of just have like overviews and such. And then it's kind of typically you talking over. And, and I always catch those like, you're always very inspirational when you're talking and like when you're speaking with a passion about the work that's being displayed on screen. And I can really appreciate that. That means so much to me that, like, you notice that. Like, thank you. Oh, no problem, but, man. But, yeah. I, I mean, it's one of those things, if you truly love what you're doing and what you're producing in the video and such, it it's conveyed to your audience. It's obvious that they'll see and be like, oh, yeah, this guy absolutely loves what he's doing and what he's dealing with. I love, uh, love self-improvement in any way. 
um, I love improvement in any way. You know, you ever see Jay and Silent Bob? Oh, absolutely. You're like, wait, whoa, hold on. Like, where did that come from? But like, I, I, I'll bring it back. Uh, you know, the, the dude that made all those <laughs> videos, uh, Kevin Smith? Um, I saw like, it, I don't know, it was an interview of his when, after he did this movie called Red State. And this movie Red State had nothing to do with like Jay and Silent Bob and Clerks and Mallrats. And I've been quoting this dude ever since I heard this. And it was the greatest thing I've ever heard. And he goes, well, Red State is so completely different from my Jay and Silent Bob movies. But like if you look at an artist, their first work and their last work should look nothing alike because the true art is their transition and growth as an artist. And I was just like, I've not seen that interview, but that is great. I I absolutely love what Kevin Smith does, and it's been it's been just cool seeing his evolution. So I can see how how you and anybody else would really gravitate to that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I just um have you? Uh, I, I guess I should ask this: Have you ever been to the original Quick Stop? No, but I uh, do live relatively close to there. Okay. Okay. Wait. You you live relatively close, and you've never made the trip out there. Oh, it was probably a couple hours. Okay. But, okay. But okay. no, I, I haven't. I want to go there one day if I'm ever in there because I think it's in it's in New Jersey, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That that would be the best social media profile picture I could ever think of. Absolutely. Yeah. Just going to the because it. I I mean the original sign and everything is there, and then I think even the video store is there too. They're closed down from what I know, but you can like peek in there and see all the old stuff that's in there. That's so cool. I mean, it was like twenty five years ago. Yeah, because I think the first Clerks came out in ninety five. Does that sound something right? like that? Yeah. Twenty five. Yeah, yeah that's mad long ago. Yeah. It's like a PS one game. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I, I know I was, uh, like, when I first gotten into Clerks and Kevin Smith's films and such, I remember just wondering why the hell that film was black and white. But it, it was really interesting just watching all the stuff there. It was really, like, he, I mean, he kind of killed himself over that film because he was working at that quick stop during the day, and then he could only film at night, so he would then go home, change, come film at night. Like, he maxed out all his credit cards. He filmed in black and white because it was cheaper. And he, he picked up smoking as well, too, from that. He went from smoking nothing to being a two-pack-a-day smoker um, up until his heart attack, I want to say, a few years ago. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about the, the heart attack or the smoking, but I did hear about him. Like, he, he had a dream, and, like, nobody would give him any money to make it. So he said, you know what? screw it i'm gonna do it myself and just like took out a bunch of credit cards max them all out i heard that that's how i started my business too you know like you want to do something you do it you'll find a way to do it there's so many reasons why you like everybody always says they can't do something and there's a million reasons as to why you can't but there's never a million reasons as to why you can and that's also like very very i'm glad you brought that up about kevin smith that nobody told when they told me he couldn't do it he said, forget that, and he did it anyway. He found a way, and I believe that anybody and anybody can find a way to do whatever they want. Yeah, I, and it was absolutely risky on his part as well, but I mean, looking at what he's done now, I mean, I, I think it's definitely paid off tenfold at minimum, but yeah, well it's, it. uh, yeah, he was, and this was in the 90s, of course, so going tens of thousands of dollars into credit card debt of all things was super dangerous, but it worked out well enough for him, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
So I know you were actually, it's funny because you were just mentioning right off the bat PS2, and I've, I've never asked you this, but this was, uh, th this is one thing I had on here, like pretty much the, on the only question I was going to ask about really, uh, why PS2? You should see the expression on my face right now. <laughs> oh, God. Um. Number one best-selling system of all time. 155 million units sold worldwide. I don't know. What else can I say? I, I, it was revolutionary for every every single person's first DVD player. Nah, I don't even care. I don't even watch too many movies. I mean, after we just talked about Kevin Smith for a while, but... <laughs> I, I think it, it has some of the... I think it's one of the greatest systems ever made. Fully completely no questions asked backwards compatible with the previous system backwards compatibility better than any other system has ever done ever well i mean i guess maybe game boy advance being able to put a game boy game in you know but like that was also done really well but it was just so good and the ps1 library is so excellent the ps2 library is so good um just everybody had a ps2 it was everybody had it such a great system, so many good games. That backwards compatibility, I don't know. Yeah, I I remember that was that all felt like the standard to me, and it was real cool going from PS1 to PS2, and then PS2 to PS3 was retaining that. And it wasn't until they started taking features out of the PS3, where I was like, wait a minute, this is not normal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where it started going downhill. And then, like, I, I like the systems and all that, of course. But then PS4, it's like, oh, no, you can't play anything from previous generations. <laughs> yeah, when PS4 came out and I was like, man, PS4 going to be backwards compatible. PS1, 2, 3, and 4. I was so excited. And then it came out and was like, nope. But just like, uh, you know, Kevin Smith, PlayStation 4 completely turned that around and obliterated the competition by having the best library of games again so many excellent remakes <laughs> so many great games games that people have been waiting for for their lifetime came out uh like what's the dude what's the dude who made shadow of the colossus uh, uh I, I, fumito ueda yes or, um, yeah we finally got last guardian finally yeah dude that dude he, all he wanted to do in life was make three games that yeah. was it he just wanted to make three games and then 17 years later we get the third one on ps4 you know it is. I, I have a big smile on my face because it is really awesome having all that. We're like just this generation alone. We're getting all these things people have been asking for. So of course, Last Guardian. Uh, what else was there? Final Fantasy VII remake here really, really soon. Um, Final Fantasy Resident Thirteen Verses. Although that came out as fifteen. There's one other. Oh, Kingdom Hearts Three. That as well. So yep. it, And these are all games. Like it, it's up to debate. Some people could be like, uh, they weren't that good. And I'm like, the the point is, we we got them this generation in in one generation. Dude, they remade Resident Evil Two. That was an excellent remake. Like just the, the slaughterhouse. The 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 PlayStation is the slaughterhouse. My friends make fun of me. They're like, you're a Sony fanboy. Show me something Nintendo. I say, I don't got something Nintendo. I got my I got my Pokemon Red from when I was eight. I got that. But they're like, you're so biased towards Sony. And I'm like, 155 million units sold, man. I think uh, in terms of PS4, though, I, I will say, to be fair, it was really easy for Sony to sweep past the competition because it was competing with the Xbox One, which had 
awful, just an awful introduction. Microsoft seems so out of touch. They were selling a less powerful console for more money. So Sony could have done anything and they would have beat out Microsoft this generation, in my opinion. They made it so much easy. They made it so easy for third party developers to develop for their system. I think it's something like um, basically if you want to be a third, if you want to develop a game for Sony, for like the PS4, Sony's just like, all right, yeah, sure. If you publish it, you make it, you do all that stuff, give us 9%. And I think that's like yeah. it. Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't know the details on there. I know Xbox was trying to really push that. They've both, uh, to their credit, both companies have definitely gotten more friendly with indie stuff and really trying to push that to the forefront and mainly make it more affordable. Because I know at least, I don't remember what sony's policy was i've i was last generation i was a 360 person but i don't know what sony's policy was but i remember with the xbox 360 with any developer uh if you had to patch your game the first one was free like a drug dealer and then after that you had to pay just an exorbitant amount of money per patch which if you're someone like activision no big deal but if you're an indie dev and you're barely breaking even or you're taking a loss on your game you might not be able to afford to fix your game dude that that Xbox 360 flooded the market. Like, yes, it did. That generation, well, that system was Well, because everywhere. everybody had like four of them because they kept breaking. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not talking about like somebody getting the red ring on their system and sending it back and then, you know, getting a warranty. Like, no, I know people who they were too impatient. So they would go and like their system would red ring and they would just go out and get another one or they would send their current one back and then they would go and buy a second system the next day and just keep that system even after they got their first one in yeah um planned obsolescence well not in the case of the red ring that was clearly a mistake however it follows the trend of planned obsolescence where like you know, let's make a microwave that's only going to last you two years, so you have to buy another one because there's no real way to repair it because we engineered it in a way where you can't take it apart. So maybe a microwave is not the best example. Maybe I should be using Apple as a better example. But sure, you still get the gist, and that's how society is trained. Your electronic breaks, throw it away, buy another one. Yeah, the the Apple one is a real good example where like the just the, the the bullshit behind it's like when everybody was saying, "Oh, my after a year my iPhone is so slow." It's like, "Nope, you are not imagining that Apple was throttling your damn phone." And they were then they try and spin it and they say it's for your safety. Dude, I've been telling people that Apple's been doing that for years. Nobody believed me. Like all my like real life friends that like mm -hmm. aren't into video games, you know what I mean? Like, cause I have real life friends, then I have real friends in real life that aren't real life friends because they like video games. I don't know, <laughs> but, but I'm sure you feel me. But my real life non-video game friends, I've been telling them about Apple forever and they didn't believe me for years. And then when Apple had to dish out like $500 million because they did do it. Oh man, you're never supposed to tell somebody you love I told you so, but all my friends, I gave them that little I told you so. <laughs> That's that's well deserved though. That's something you need to tell people. Yeah, and and even if they don't believe you, it's like okay, here's Apple's press document on it. They're the ones who admitted here, and they try and again they try and spin it and they say, oh well, you know, it's for your safety because the life of the battery. We don't want to explode all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. The um, somebody asked me actually recently who's like not super into video games, but they were like, why don't you like Apple? And I was like. Um, I thought about it because I was like, how do I, I want to answer this in a sentence without going into like a million details. But 
the sentence I ended up giving my friend was, I don't like Apple because they view their clientele as stupid. They do. In my opinion, at least they do. Right? Yeah. Just with the... With that, I know, sorry to cut you off, but I know even back to the battery here when people have, they, they're doing all sorts of stuff to kill, you know, any type of home repair, right to repair and such. And even I know with batteries, they said, oh, well, we don't want people to repair their phones because you see when you open it, you could damage the battery, you could damage other components and it could explode. So we're doing this for your safety and locking it down for your safety because we don't want anyone's phones to explode when they're open. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's basically just being like, don't open it, buy another one. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes, unfortunately. And plenty of people do that. That, their their marketing campaigns, I feel like they're, a lot of their commercials are just very, um, everything's so like mass, mass appeal. Everything just has such a mass appeal and it's almost like, um, like, Everything, all of them having like just nothing but like white backgrounds. It's like, what's the matter? Why is everything you do have to have a white background and have to, your entire store is bright and white. What's the matter? You think I'm so stupid that if there's a couple colors in there that I'm going to get distracted (laughs) and I'm not going to be able to pay attention to your product, which is essentially the exact same product that you just recently released just with an updated camera and a slightly bigger screen and uh, maybe half a gig more of RAM because that's what Samsung does the same thing. Everything is just slightly, 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 slightly improved to get you to continue buying the phones, which I guess is essentially smart because, hey, Mario, me and you, you want to just start a phone company and just make phones and then just supply phones to half of the planet? No, you can't just come out of the woodwork and just do that. Absolutely not. There's no way to do that. They kind of have a monopoly on the situation, sort of speak. Not essentially a full a full fledged monopoly because you know there's multiple companies doing it, but there's only a select few companies, just like uh, Sony, Xbox, Nintendo. Who's the third? Oh, what well, isn't d- d- you Fourth. named off three? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that would have been Sega, but that was so last millennium, so unfortunately not. I right? I can't. I I don't even like even just on my end. I'm like. I don't know if we can have a fourth company. Can we? Can we not? I have no idea. Who who could compete? Who could compete? Yeah, it'd have to be some. I, I you know I see new consoles trying to come out. I think like the Evercade is one of them, but they are trying to appeal to a certain niche audience, and then it's nothing really super original. It's kind of just hey, this is a new platform to play these games on, and just kind of something kitschy that you can mess around with. For anyone who doesn't know about the Evercade, it's like kind of a retro cartridge collection type take. So it's I I think it's more geared towards like retro game collectors who want something new to collect for (laughs) yeah that's so funny yeah i'm not i'm not picking one up but it i mean it looks neat but i'm just like no i've i've got more than enough games that i'm not playing right now yo you do you remember something coming out like uh do you remember like it was it was a retro system not like a brand new system it was called the cd like s-e-e-d-i couple years ago? Yes, yeah. There were plenty of people making fun of it because they said that their marketing was seedy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I um, <laughs> I never really, like, like looked too into it until, like, literally the other day. 
Um, but when I heard it coming out, it was like, oh, new system that can play like all your like CDs. And I was like, oh, cool, whatever. I don't care because I have all those systems. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, that's cool that somebody's making that. And like, apparently it never came to fruition. And this was years ago. So for whatever reason, I don't know, I saw a picture of it somewhere on the internet somehow. So I was like, let me like, let me Google this thing. So I Googled it and I saw their Indiegogo page and I just read their Indiegogo. Basically, it's an, they said it's an orange pie, which so I Googled that. And it's basically just a raspberry pie just with like a little bit beefier specs. And then they had this like, we want to do a limited edition system in like clear color for the people that donated the most on Indiegogo or, or whatever, something like that. So they posted this model of their CD console and it was clear green. And if you zoomed in on it, um, you could literally see that inside the shell, it was a disk drive. And then there was like a little like Raspberry Pi. And then if you looked at the back of the system, it was like drum jack, micro USB, HDMI, or drum jack, uh, SD card, HDMI, and then uh, micro USB. And if you looked, if you like cross reference that to the, um, the orange Pi, it was the orange pie had it in the same configuration, the same space away. So, so basically, all these people did was figure out how to launch an ISO from a disk drive and use an emulator on the um, on an orange pie, and then change the entire user interface so nothing says orange pie and it just says CD all over the place. Basically, it's just like a, a, a programming job and like a software job, and then manufacturing a shell in a case, and that's. That's why when they're like, it can't do Xbox, it can't do uh, PS2, it can't do Dreamcast, probably because the Orange Pie can't emulate those that well. So, I don't know. I just thought that was really, really funny, and I forgot what you said that made me, oh, Evercade. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I actually, I do remember that, and the Indiegogo, for anybody who's wanted to look it up, the Indiegogo did fail, so the system never came to fruition. Um, I remember they built two prototypes of it, and they sent one to Metal Jesus Rocks, who did a video kind of previewing it, and I remember that he actually opened it up, and it just looked like, if you go to a store, and you buy like a $30 laptop external DVD ROM drive or DVD burner, and if you just open that up and put it in kind of a fancier looking case and then shove an orange pie in there, that is all it was. Um, I will say, though, like just for some more detail, when you were saying, you know, not Xbox, Dreamcast and such, I wouldn't even think that it's the emulation on there that can't handle it. I think it's just the disc format because it can handle anything that is a CD-ROM but, you know, Xbox's book type that needs a Xbox drive to decrypt or a 360 drive to decrypt it. And then same with the Dreamcast, you know, it's not a CD-ROM, it's a GD-ROM. So it was just the drive was physically incapable of detecting those and reading the game data off of them properly. I think they probably could have, not Xbox, but Dreamcast probably could have been emulated to a decent extent, but not off the disc itself. But I remember a lot of people didn't like that, understandably so, because it was just... As you said, it was just, you know, re-image and a slightly customized setup and such on there. And then I think, to my knowledge, I think they were using RetroArch and the cores on there. And the RetroArch team was really upset because they were actually contacted in advance by CD. If I remember correctly, they were contacted in advance. And RetroArch had specifically said, like the, the Lib Retro, they specifically said... 
we do not want you to use our cores on your commercial product. And CD said, okay, you know what? We respect that. And then a few weeks later, they said, you know what? Even though you told us no, we're going to do this anyways because we believe that what you're saying goes against what you're trying to do with open source and such. So if you disagree with us, you can sue us. Damn. Yeah, but that, of course, didn't happen. And then it, it's all good, though. No no suing happened. Nothing occurred with any type of lawyers or anything. Nothing happened in the legal system. And then the disk drive system never came to fruition. So um, I'm actually, I just pulled up that Middle Jesus video, and I watched it, and I have it paused right where he took it apart. Mm-hmm. And so, one, I feel like an idiot because I spent, like, I spent like 20 minutes reading about this thing and then like I figured out what it was and I felt like really proud of myself and now I'm watching this video and then three minutes in Metal Jesus <laughs> just basically is just like boop here it is but what's what I really like about seeing it in the, his video is um, they did they use like extender cables like they did it looks like the cables are like velcroed down on the inside it looks like this is like um this is like something I would do if I was feeling lazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? I yeah. guess, okay, it's a prototype, whatever. That's like. the excuse they can use. Yeah, it's a prototype. And again, to my knowledge, I think there was only two that were made. But anybody can make this. It's a disk drive with an orange pie. Yeah. And like, why would you even want to? You just, I don't know. I guess it's it was not cool. It it was it was neat. I thought it was cool, but at the same time, I was like, "Oh, this is like a hundred dollars that I don't need to spend." It wasn't it wasn't cheap, from what I recall. Now, if they like actually like figured out and like made some sort of like, if it wasn't an orange pie or a raspberry pie, and if it was like a piece of hardware that they made, it would be a lot cooler. Um, there is one other system that's trying to do that, uh, and the name is escaping me right now. It's not Alpha retro- Omega. It's the Alpha Omega. It's the um, the Alpha Omega. It's not that. <laughs> it's not that, but it's something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's po- like the um, poly the orange something? mega. Yeah, Polymega, that's it. Polymega. Yes, yeah, I'm just like, we're getting there, we're getting there. Yeah, it's a Polymega system that's coming out for a few hundred bucks, and it's apparently it's supposed to be the real deal. I know um, Modern Vintage Gamer, friend of the show, he was really railing it at first, but apparently, like, it is the real deal. Prototypes are working fine. He even not last E... Well, yeah, last E3, E3 2019, he went out there, he met up with Polymega, and he tried some games on there that are known to be problematic, and they seem to work just fine. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. I I mean, I, I don't want any of these projects to fail if there's something that's reputable and cool and really going to push things forward. I think it should come out and do a good job if it, that's what the goal is to be. But uh, we'll just, we'll, we'll still, I'm kind of still holding my breath just to see how final hardware is going to handle. There's what I like is there's so many options to play all of these games now, which is like basically that's the whole purpose of modding consoles is to is to enhance and preserve so that you can play these games later down the road when, you know, technology fails or whatever. Yeah. Agree. So just creating new hardware to to play them also works. Yeah. I I love seeing what 
many places or when many people are doing with FPGA and such like that. I haven't touched this yet, but I really need to get a like one of those DE10 nanos and build myself a mister and just deck it out with all the add-ons and then use as many cores as I can. But have you looked into that project at all? The only the only aspect I looked into it was because I wanted to see if somebody made a Killer Instinct 2 core for it and I would get it mm -hmm. and it would basically be like a dedicated Killer Instinct system. That's what I want. Sure. And that's that's the extent of me looking into it. All right, all right. That's uh, I, I'm sure, I don't know if there's any Killer Instinct cores out there. Uh, I'm sure there would be one in the future if there's not one now. But for anybody that doesn't know, it's... I think everybody knows what a RetroPie setup is at this point, and that's all, all using software emulation. And this is, I guess, for lack of better terms, hardware emulation, because this utilizes a ton of cores that utilize FPGA hardware to emulate the original hardware as best as they could, which is going to be leagues above what you can get from, you know, software cores and such from something such as, you know, the Raspberry or the, uh, the RetroPie project. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong if you want to build RetroPie and play your games through there. But if you're wanting something better, more fleshed out, more accuracy and all that stuff, uh, Met the, not Metro, uh, Mister is absolutely the way to go. It is more expensive, but it's really impressive what the project has done. And they're always adding more improvements. They're always adding new cores. There's just there's so much to it that's really awesome. Yeah, it's a, like you said, it's a much more accurate... Um, emulation to the point where it's almost like a simulation of the original hardware absolutely because it's really just rewriting the i guess for lack of better terms it, it's it's rewriting the original hardware to work on a new chipset and new hardware and such so again that's where it gets you know that hardware emulation term i know some people might even still be iffy calling it emulation that's what i'm calling it, though i'm calling it hardware emulation versus software emulation yeah, it makes total perfect sense. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> so I've been on a huge, huge, huge uh, Vita and PSP kick. Um, yeah, you were lately. telling me about that. I haven't really made too many videos about it, but like me personally, like I've been playing playing on the Vita. Uh, and just to just to give you a shout out, every single time I've ever hacked a Vita, I used one of your tutorials on your channel to get me there. Oh, well. Just what? Well, thanks for the shout out. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they help out. I'm, I'm glad they can still help out to some extent. Dude, no, like, no, like it's beyond help out. It's like <laughs> yours are the most coherent. They're the most coherent and informational and helpful to the point where like if you do this, you may potentially have this error come up. A way to get around that error is by doing this or this. And if that error doesn't come up, do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you, you, you yours are good. Like everywhere else, like you try <laughs> to do it, and like you always run into issues. You know what I mean? For like the first time, yeah. Like when a first, like when a hack first gets released, like I always go to you to like do it, and then I end up, you know, obviously doing it like 700 times or whatever, and then like I got a little bit memorized. <laughs> but the first couple times, I'm always watching you. Side, all right, that was a side note, a side, oh. Vita, back to the Vita. Well, thanks, man, appreciate it. But yeah, what's going on with you and the Vita? Um, have you found that, so the Vita, in my opinion, is such a great emulation for, well, it's not even emulation, for PS1 and PSP. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 
it's so good to play those systems, but if you go and you play like Super Nintendo on the Vita, it's nowhere near as good as let's say if you were to emulate Super Nintendo on a PSP. Mm-hmm. Now, my theory is basically that because when they made the PSP and they all like that thing got hacked, everybody wrote the emulators for it. All those emulators were so good for the PSP, but then when they went to the Vita, Basically, the Vita that's emulating the PSP is now emulating the Super Nintendo. So you're right to some extent there. I, I guess I'll try and correct it as best as I can. So the emulators that are on PSP, a lot of them are rock solid. You're not wrong on that. One of the things is we had, we always, to some extent, we always had access to the PSP emulator. We were always able to, like, peek in there through exploits from PSP games that you could buy on the uh, PlayStation store. And you could either just load up Homebrew or you could access the whole damn ePSP. So for a while, there really wasn't any proper native Vita Homebrew. Now there is plenty of proper native Vita Homebrew, but the problem is at this point, um, we don't have proper GPU acceleration to utilize on emulators on Vita native homebrew and it's it's been like that for a surprisingly long time I think there's still even a paid bounty out there on one of those bounty sites where if you're able to get in open source and explain it um, it would help the community and you'll make some money in the way but that's the big thing that's holding those native homebrew apps back. Uh, there are homebrew games that are there. There are, um, and it's actually, excuse me, it's not even really for the games. It's more like the emulation cores, like what you'll see in RetroArch and such on there, which is what's really holding that back. So once people are able to make headway on there, you'll have a lot better old emulation on the Vita without having to boot into the PSP side of it because all of a sudden you'll have more resources available from the Vita natively as opposed to accessing PSP-only resources on a Vita. Yeah, the, like when, when you're playing Super Nintendo on the PSP, that whole entire PSP, you're using all of the resources of the system to emulate that Super Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're when you're running a Super Nintendo emulator on the PSP emulator on the Vita, uh, you'll still get this. You'll get the same performance as you would on a native PSP. But the downside of that is you're only going to max out what the PSP can max out with. So I don't mind the way I got it set up for my, for myself right now. Is I turn my PSP into a full just nothing but retro, just all the retro emulator, and then I got um, PS One. PSP and then Vita games for my for my Vita and my PSTV and I'm so happy with that setup. I don't even use my hacked PS3 which has everything and does all of them very 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 well. Yeah, I love the uh that's really cool to hear too, but I think with me with the Vita, one of the more mind-blowing things is... Because, you know, with the PSP, uh, there was... Sony had their own proprietary, like, memory stick duo format on there. And Mm -hmm. then plenty of other companies, like SanDisk and others, had cloned it, for lack of a better term. And now you can just get, you know, memory stick duo to micro SD adapters and just go that way. And that's that's the best way to do it, in my opinion, at this point, as long as your adapter doesn't break. Um 
But then the Vita was also held back by really expensive, proprietary, locked-down storage, which I understand why Sony would do that. They don't want it hacked up again like the PSP was right from the beginning. And it worked for a few years, but I just love you. Uh, I'm assuming you, you have the SD to Vita set up, right? Yeah. Yeah, like anybody who has a hacked Vita should have that or a hacked PSTV. And I just love that the community went in and said... We could just use the Vita game card port and create an adapter for this and then write a driver so that we can just replace this completely using a micro SD card through the game card port. And that worked just fine. And at this point, once that really came out and everything was taking off, to me, I saw the Vita as a worthy successor that could be called that, that could truly be called the PSP2. Dude, um, if you if you um, you know how like uh, for the PS3 when you're hacking it, you get the PS pup file. Yeah. When you update the PS Vita's firmware, like if you're like you know just downloaded 3.73 from like the official website and just like loaded it onto it, it's called PSP2 updat.pup. Yep. Yep. That that made me <laughs> laugh so much the first time I saw it. I was like, no, this is. I I remember I saw it. I was like, this is this is literally the PSP2. Wow, that just confirms it. <laughs> Do one time. Um, so this is a this is a, a the weirdest, craziest, stupidest story. Um, but I, <laughs> All I, I right. don't know. So basically, a really long time ago, I was trying so desperately to get like the most custom the- uh, theme on a PSP, and I mean like one of the themes where they completely change every aspect of it, not just like the icons. Um, and I ended up having to do so many different things because I found a really, really old theme that I wanted. And it was so custom, but it didn't work with any of the new updates. So in order to, I had to like download a program where it was like like all these like unpacking things. And it, it was a whole rabbit hole that took me a couple of weeks to figure out how to get this stupid theme to run on my PSP. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was unpacking a lot of these folders that had been created within the theme. And then I had to add, and I had to like take a new theme, unpack the new theme, pull a specific file out of it, put that into like the old theme and then pack it back up and then download all these different programs. <laughs> and on, um, I forget which program it was, this, cause this was like, this was like a year and a half ago. But it was on um, one of the programs that somebody made for making themes for the PSP. Um, when was I it an all it, Japanese uh, program? Um, I don't remember. Okay. I, I just remember back in the day, I had some friends who were trying to make PSP themes, and they had to do it in all Japanese programs with like English translations on the side. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. There was... Um, when I unpacked one of these files, um, I found there's a picture just left in it that had nothing to do with anything. And I felt like this is the dude that like wrote this code and this program. He packed this little um, this little picture in there, almost like a signature, in case somebody else ever like went through his stuff and unpacked it. Like I, I don't know. I might I just sent it to you right now. The little picture I found inside of a um, oh, I think that's a dark a PSP Alex file. Yeah, you're from my from Tekken, right? 
Uh, oh, no, you're you're right, you're right. Yeah, no, I've seen this photo from um, Dark Alex, like the person who was making the firmwares and such. I think he's used this before. Um, I don't know if this is directly from Tekken, though. I don't know where it's from. Looks like a manga series or something like that. But I just thought it was so cool that it was found. It, it, like, I found it inside some some PSP file um, that some dude... And it was tucked away. It was, it was a pain in the ass to, to open that folder. Or to open that file, so it wasn't really intended for anybody to be seen, you, except maybe like a few other people. So you I know, that was cool. I will, I will say this real quick. My first guess was actually right. If you right click that, like the, the the photo you just sent me, like if you're using Chrome, you right click it and you search Google for that image. Everything that comes up is Dark Alex. So that was indeed Dark Alex's icon. No way. So he yeah. probably wrote wrote one of the programs. He might have, or it might have just been you know a reference to him. It was more than likely him, um, or because I I don't know if it if anybody would be paying homage to him directly there. But yeah, he is a. I mean, he's he's definitely been one of the biggest you know homebrew modding inspirations. That dude wrote countless firmwares for the PSP. Well, I'm pretty sure that's that's what something where I got it where I got it out of. That's awesome, man! Thank you for sharing that. Oh my god, that that was that was great, right? Yeah, I remember like sending all my friends like like um, I immediately like sent it. I was like, yo, I found this little picture inside this PSP program. Check this out. Dude left his signature. Did did anybody pick up that that was Dark Alex? No, because I was showing like my like real life friends. That, oh, like... okay, okay. I'm a little disappointed then. Damn. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, yeah. man. I love. Uh, so I guess all of this answers your question as to why PS2. Yeah, no, that works out. We've 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 been <laughs> everywhere. In that. I, one one thing I actually wanted to know, even just off back to the PS2 for a bit, were you modding PS2s back in the day, or is this something that you started doing in the past few years? No, I I only started modding like three years ago, four okay. years ago, five years ago. Somewhere around all right. there. I don't... Recently. All right, all right, gotcha. Because it's... I mean, the the thing that amazes me with the PS2 with installing mod chips is, like, it seemed like, at least not where, like, I was living, but it seemed like online and especially in other countries, there were so many people back in the heyday that uh, so many installers that were available for doing PS2 mod chip installs. And then you get in there and it's like, what the hell? This is not a common skill set. This is, first of all, I mean, it's soldering all these components, but then it's a difficult installation, a lot more difficult than, like, compared to the PS1 or many other console mods out there. So I'm just sitting there, I'm like, how the hell were there so many people worldwide who were modding these as a paid business and service successfully? Dude, right? Yeah. The, the, um, the thing that actually, when you asked me why PS2, I think this is the actual answer that you were probably looking for. Um, but I just had to wait for it to come out organically. Uh, the thing that attracted me to the PS2 the most was its difficulty level. It was so far above my skill set and my abilities that I wanted to do it. I got you. And um, one, of the first, one of the first mods that I... I was basically this was when I like really first started one of the first mods I ever wanted to do was I wanted to get a PSP 2000 get the component cables for it uh, plug it into my TV and then harder solder a PS2 controller into the PSP so basically I just made a console size PSP yeah that was one of the, that'd be cool that was one of the, yeah but 
I, I opened that PSP up and was like, yeah, no way. I'm ever going to, one, figure this out, two, be able to solder this. And I was like, this is way over my head. And I hated that. Like, I hated that. Being like, here's something that would make, that would be so awesome and so much fun, but I can't do it because I'm not good enough. You know what I mean? So I was basically like, all right, well, let's make sure that never happens again. What's the hardest mod out there to do? Let's go and do that a thousand times. And then I'll never have to worry about putting a... <laughs> modding a ps2 controller into a psp which coincidentally i've never done but <laughs> and that's one thing for, for anybody listening who's never looked at a ps2 mod chip install just seriously go, go on to google right now look up ps2 mod chip install and just look at some of the work there that you'll see and i know one of the you'll probably find photos that paul here has of installs as well but i know uh, prior one of the more infamous mod well I, I guess Infamous kind of has a bad ring to it. One more famous modders was named Jin. J-I-N-N. Oh, and, yo, Jin! Yeah. But he had gone on record at one point and said, yeah, the PS2 matchup is pretty much the hardest mod out there and if you can do these matchup installs successfully and master a PS2 matchup install, you can do any mod. <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah, very, 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 very well said. Um, and I feel this also just goes... For, for life, for life too. Um, <laughs> if you're like learning a new skill, like ma like master the hard part. I don't know, but I skateboarded for like 20 years and um, like pop shove it's like a really like simple basic trick. Like to this day, I can't do them because my whole life I would just practice like hard flips and like nollie 360 flips and like really hard, like a lot harder tricks. Um, and then, you know, obviously by now I forgot all the easy ones, but that was my idea. My concept behind skateboarding was let me let me struggle with the hard tricks so all the other easier tricks become easier later on. Sure. I, I guess the thing that I would just caution on, I guess this is more my philosophy I would disagree with, is like you can, the only thing is with that, you'll mess up a lot along the way at times, but it will also... I believe in building a solid foundation. So, like, for example, when, when I really was getting into soldering, like, I fucked up, you know, a PS1 mod chip install. And then, you know, later on, I did revisit that, and I was able to get in there after struggling with a few other systems. I was able to get it installed. And then, like, when I did the Xbox 360, the first hard mod I did was the JTAG exploit. Because I had JTAGable system, and I was like, well, I have one opportunity to do this, but it's only, like three components that I need to solder and then I started kind of working my way up and then I eventually got to the PS2 of course but uh, I having that foundation was super important for me at least but everyone learns differently as well too that is true um, I feel I feel a balance between if you balance what you said and what I said in the middle that would be like that would be the greatest thing ever is when you yeah. feel comfortable tackle the next level up the, like the next difficulty up but you can't tackle that until for instance i had you, you have to mod you know 10 ps1s before you can try one ps2 you're absolutely correct i would i would say yeah that would be accurate yeah like something like that you know what i mean like um you got to recap a game gear before you can go and recap a sega cd because sega cd got like 52 capacitors in it <laughs> or something ridiculous yeah, God love Sega for using those bad component, like those those bad capacitors on their systems. Oh, the ones that smell like fish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're brutal, man. God, they are brutal. But you know, I always Game Gear was such like a great entry level for so many people that I know that do mods. 
Um, I ask a lot of friends of mine, like, yo, what, what got you into modding? Oh, you know, like recapping Game Gears. What got what got you into modding? Was it was it, it was that RGH you were just talking about? Was that like your first one, or was that um, like what got you into it? Uh, are we are we talking hard mod specifically, or just modding overall? Both. I want to know for both. Sure. Uh, I I want to say with hard mods because I guess I'll, I'll go backwards on this. With hard mods, it was definitely the Xbox 360 where it was more. I was doing um, disc drive flashing on there. And then did I do, yeah, I think I did some other, started kind of dipping my toe in there where like, for example, flashing some, um, some disc drives. Have you, have you ever heard of the Kamikaze exploit for the 360? Uh, Heard of, yes. Have any idea of what it is? No. Sounds vaguely familiar. Somebody told me about it once upon a time. I don't remember what it is. Right on. So this is for you and then like for anybody who might be listening who doesn't know about this, but on one of the drives for the Xbox 360, um, this is one of the harder drive mods on there. Uh, what you need to do, you need to unlock the disk drive itself to flash the firmware to it. So you hook it up, you get your program up and running, which would be Jungle Flasher typically, and then Jungle Flasher starts sending it command to reset the status of the drive to unlock it. And it can only successfully unlock your drive when there is a wire that is short that that is broken this wire is inside a really small chip and what you need to do while your drive is hooked up and powered and you're sending this data to it this signal constantly you need to go into the chip and sever that wire so you can use an exacto knife to to drill in there you can use a drill bit to drill in there you can use a soldering iron the soldering iron is my favorite but you're literally you need to find the exact point where this wire is embedded in the chip and then go in while it's still up and running and you need to make it just far enough so that the chip is not damaged the drive is still functional but you have successfully broken the protection on there to keep the firmware locked and then at that point, you can unlock it, relock it, and do all that other fun stuff. And that's, I think, like some of the farthest stuff I had gotten on there. But it was, um, I'd had a buddy's dad who installed a RGH for me, where I did all the software side, but I couldn't solder because I wasn't successful with the PS1. Like, I, I did not have any hope for what I was doing. So I had him do all the RGH stuff, like the, the hard mod for me. And that was able to work for a bit. It busted at one point, but I was just wanting to get back into soldering and try it again because I had befriended someone who he was doing the mod work for me, but I was sending it, I was spending a decent amount, like, you know, like it, the labor was always free. He would just charge me shipping in parts, but it was just, I had a bunch of 360s and I would send one to him. He would install it, send it back. And plus I wanted to do it on my own too. So it was more just like the JTAG and RGH that got me into soldering specifically and I guess PS1 mod chips. Um, and then more for just modding itself, the canceled game from, it was supposed to come out like October 31st, 1998. Um, the canceled game on PS1 Thrill Kill. Thrill Kill. Yes. Yes. Ah, I said it at the same time as you. <laughs> I found out about this game, thought it was amazing, had to figure out a way to play it. At the time, emulators were not good. I didn't know what the fuck a mod chip was. I didn't know how to solder. I didn't know anybody who could solder. Um, and I found out about boot disks. So 
through a series of events, I was able to get a copy of Thrill Kill from someone, I was able to order a boot disc, and I was playing Thrill Kill really shittily on my PS1. And that that's Thrill Kill is the reason why I got into modding, because I wanted to figure out a way to play that game. Dude. Dude, I can't believe, like... Like, before you even said Thrill Kill, I was just like, as soon as you said cancel game, I was like, he's about to say Thrill Kill. (laughs) It's one of the most well-known canceled games out there. Dude, I got to, um, uh, I got to play that game, like, in, like, I don't know, like, 1999 or, like, 2000, like, very soon after it was canceled. Uh, Me and my buddy Nick, I remember, uh, we were both, like, 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. And we seen, we heard about it from the magazines. Like we knew about Thrill Kill. Like we seen it like on the internet one time or something, like a picture of it mm-hmm. or something like that. But like we never, it never came out, so we didn't know what happened. And um, I remember him being like, "Yo, dude, like my mom's going to her boyfriend's house. Like you gotta come with me." And I was like, "Why? Like let's just you know stay home and either skateboard or play video games." He's like, "Nah, dude, you gotta come with me to this dude's house." I was like, why? And Nick goes, he's got Thrill Kill. I, I was like, no way. I was like, you're lying. You're lying. I don't believe you. Yo, I went to, so I went with him. I went with his mom to this dude's house. And, um, and like, we went downstairs to the basement and like the dude just like kind of like set us up to like, you know, like play video games and like leave us alone. And I remember his basement. He had like one of those big screen, like projector TVs. And then he had like an entertainment system like uh, built around it with like shelves on both sides. Sure. And and it was so like audiophile, like this guy, because it was just so much audio equipment, like a million receivers just everywhere. Audio equipment and computers packed into the corner. And I remember there was four PS1s around that TV. And I was like, why does this dude have four? Like, why has he got four PS1s? Looking back, my assumption is one was to play modded games, one was probably to play Japanese games, one was to play, I don't know, regular games, and who knows? Also, you know, you, I mean? you, you know better than I, once you get into modding and you get bit, bitten with that bug, the systems just start to grow. It's like you go from one PS3 to 20. Okay, actually, that's probably more so what it was. Okay. That you're, you're probably... <laughs> You're probably right as to why he had four. That's what it was. He probably, yeah. And I and, and I guarantee you, he rationalized all of them. Oh, absolutely. I rationalize my seven PS2s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But but we ended up playing Thrill Kill, and I couldn't believe it. Obviously, the dude downloaded an ISO, had modded, modded his PS1, and then burnt the ISO to the to the disc because that game got leaked on the internet like right after it was canceled because the game was done. And then it got repurposed as what? Uh, Wu-Tang Shaolin style? Yeah, uh, Wu-Tang Shaolin style, X-Men Mutant Academy 1 and 2, and Rock'em Sock'em Robots of all games. But the closest one to it that we can officially purchase and play is Wu-Tang. Oh, I didn't know that about um, X-Men Mutant Academy or Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Yeah, because the, the engine was actually... So fun fact, the, the engine for Throw Kill was built from the ground up specifically for Throw Kill. And the game was finished, but it was canceled. So actually for a hot minute, the developers and mainly Activision, they were shopping it around to licenses and companies and such because they said, hey, we want to make a fighting game using your license, but we have a fighting game engine in-house created all ready to go. Here's Thrill Kill. This isn't going to be the exact same game, 
but it your game would be using this engine. It would be built upon this engine. So they were literally using Thrill Kill as a tech demo after it was canceled. That's incredibly interesting. <laughs> that was that was awesome. I did not know that. That was so awesome. I made all my friends play it. Did did they like it or did they real like you you know once you once the allure wears off like I love Thrill Kill don't get me wrong and it will always hold a special place in my heart but I'm like the game is okay it's not that good yeah yeah exactly what you said it's like the coolest thing you know like because you know you have a lot of you got a lot of gamer friends that like like games but like not all of them are into like modding where you can like do all this extra stuff some of your friends are into modding. Um, you know what I mean? Some of your friends are in the know. Some of your friends aren't in the know. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, so many yeah. different classifications of gamers. So if I have, if I invite somebody over who's like, all they do is like play like Call of Duty for PS4, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, hey, check out this canceled PS1 game. Actually, never mind. person who just plays Call of Duty for PS4 wouldn't be so shocked. Mm-hmm. But like, you get what I'm saying? Like you get to show it to different types of people. Um, and give them shock value when like the when like a dominatrix kicks off like a, a, a I don't even know what the mammoth kind of animal he is he's off, like, I mean his head. his name is mammoth yeah <laughs> yeah the mammoth there you go yeah um, so I don't know shock value it's cool like uh, there's some there's like a lot of like really silly games out there that's just so fun to like when people come over just pop those in and then be like check out this absolutely absurdly ridiculous game yeah agreed and, th- <laughs> and thrill kill is the king of games like that if you want another absurdly ridiculous ps1 game that's a lot more innocent but one that's canceled and might make for some good times uh have you ever played torque nope it's T-O-R-C. It's actually really fun. I recommend you check it out as well as anybody else who listens. But you play as a two-headed ogre in a wheel-type contraption, and you go around the countryside and all these levels and destroy all these buildings and villages. And I don't really know why it was canceled, but it's so fun. <laughs> Oh man! It's just that that weird originality that I feel like we'll never get back from the PS One and Two era. Right? Yeah. It, hey, I don't know. It seems like everything's trying to be a little too realistic at times now. Yeah, but but hey, right now, like remaking these PS One classics is like the smartest thing. Like that needs to just continue, not only for like our generation, but also for the younger generation as well. Mm-hmm. because those games were so good that I feel that if they had a modernized look to them, anybody of any age will enjoy them, or, or younger, Dude, you know? Final Fantasy VII, for example, I know everybody's tired of hearing about it, talking about it, seems like at times, because it, it is super overhyped, but I replayed it recently from start to finish. The game, the original one, still holds up. It has me even more excited for the remake. Uh, one of my younger brothers... He's been waiting over half his life for Final Fantasy VII Remake because he, like, I started him young. I taught him, you know, like, I I introduced him to Spyro and Final Fantasy VII and VIII. And so they knew about the story, the lore, the characters. They tried playing the games. They thought they were cool, but they didn't get the full hang of them. So, like, they didn't finish the original Final Fantasy VII. But there are, it, it just, it makes me happy that there's these games that, 
all these classics, you know, not even just Final Fantasy, but of course old Mario games and such that will still carry on generations. And you have young kids and teenagers now who are desperately looking forward to this because it's something that they've either always wanted to get into or they've been excited about it for years and years and years and they're finally getting it. Dude, right? I'm playing Crisis Core. Yeah. That was a good game. Like, I'm, I'm straight playing Crisis Core right now because uh, I never got a chance to beat it. I, 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 sure. I, I played sure. Crisis Core on, um, on PPSSPP emulator, and I used a Microsoft Xbox USB 360 wireless adapter to play. <laughs> I don't even know what I just said, but... I made it so I, I played on the emulator, plugged it into my big screen TV, and then plugged the Xbox 360 wireless controller up to my computer so I could play Crisis Core on a big screen TV as if it was a console. I went through all that trouble to play that game, got halfway through it, moved, and then never really finished the game. That was like six years ago. So now I'm playing it on my Vita, start to finish again. And um, that's the last like Final Fantasy VII thing I need to, like, you know, to, like, I beat Dirge or Cerberus a couple of years ago, stuff like that. Gotcha, gotcha. No, I I always hate it when I, I get really into a game and then, you know, something happens. Like, you move or you just kind of lose a little bit of interest or what have you. So you have this giant mammoth of a game that you didn't finish and you just kind of have to live with it. So you can either restart it or kind of continue. Most of the time I kind of just choose to continue and I'll forget some details along the way, but it works out. Yeah, right. Some people yeah. always suggest the most brilliant thing ever. Uh, I have the really bad habit of like getting to the final boss and then like right before the final boss, just stop playing the game. Oh my god, you and one of my best friends have that same habit. <laughs> or right before when I get to the final boss, instead of just stop playing the game, I go and do everything else in the game. <laughs> and then when I'm like almost done doing everything else, I completely forgot the entire story and then just don't go beat the final boss. It's one of those. So my, my friend was like, mine was like, oh, just watch it. Just watch a, like a gameplay recap on YouTube and then stop watching right before the final boss and go beat the final boss. I was like, that's brilliant, but I'm never going to do that. That is a really good idea. Wow, that's a good pro tip. Right? Dude, Tales of Destiny on PS1, man. I got so far into that. You, you know what made me stop playing that game? What? I got really far into it. Uh, but at one point, it's literally you take a step, random battle. You get out of that battle, you take one step, random battle. And it literally just happened for two days straight that I just lost my entire mind, put the game down, and just stopped <laughs> playing. And I was like, I can't do this. I just can't do this. Because, like, it, I, I, was, I just want to progress. I've, I've been battling for, for days. I just want to progress. And I just lost it. And then I put the game down for six months, completely forgot the whole story. I was like, you know what? I was like, let me pick it up. I'm sure as I play, I'll remember some of the story. I picked that game back up, got into a random battle as soon as I came out of the save point, and just, I sold the game. I sold it. <laughs> I'm sure you got a good amount of money for it, too. That's one of those uh, more valuable games for the PS1. Yeah, it was expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've never played a Tales game. I hear great things about them, but I've never played a Tales game. I have a few of them, though. Uh, that's the only one I've ever played. The um the combat system, like the battle system, is like really, really, really cool. Best I could say about it. Right on. <laughs> to know, yeah, I I don't 
I don't know which one I would jump into. Maybe if there's anybody listening at this point who's big into Tales, maybe you can recommend a starter one because I have I have Tales of Vesperia on the um on the 360 and I think Tales of Symphonia that's what it is on the GameCube and those are the two Tales games that I own. I, I hear a lot of people love Symphonia. Like that's like a big fan mm-hmm. favorite. Yeah, my uh, my my best friend who he he's the one who he has that same habit that you had with like getting to near the end of the game and then just stopping. He told me that because like, I I remember he is a big Tales fan, and when I told him I picked up Symphonia, he, he just lit up about it and he was like, "Dude, that is maybe the best random game purchase my brother and I ever made." And I asked about it. And he said, "Yeah." Uh, my brother and I, we were traveling one time with the family, and we stopped at some random game shop in Arizona, and we saw Tales of Symphonia. It looked cool. We knew nothing about it, so we bought it and didn't touch it until we had to get back home, and then we just co-opted the thing and played it from start to finish in its entirety, and he just had nothing but good things to say about it, but he was like, yeah, that is like one of the greatest experiences I've had just randomly picking up a game and jumping into it. That's um that's really similar how I got into the uh the Persona series. It was Oh, how do you get into I just it? Just picked a, picked the game up at random. Was like, "What's this?" Picked up uh Persona 3 at random. Um I don't know how many years later, but my save file is like 160 hours and I'm like nowhere near being the game. I've been trying to beat that game since I got it like I don't even know how many years ago. Oh my god. <laughs> but I fell in love with with the se- I fell in love with the series, the game, the entire company, just everything about it was just mind-blowingly like awesome to me. It was so fresh, so unique. You know, except for the fact that you can't beat it in 160 hours. <laughs> Oh man, I think mine, uh, mine that I got into, which I I've played Persona like to to their entirety. I've played Persona Four Golden and Dancing All Night, and then I've delved into Arena Q and uh, what was the other one? Persona Five. Unfortunately, I never finished Persona Five. I, I there's so many other persona games i need to play and finish but um for me it was golden like i'd heard good things about it on the vita subreddit and i found it for 20 bucks on amazon one day picked it up and that is maybe the best one of the best games i just decided to randomly play it once because i remember i was having an issue with my car battery and i took it into sears when they were still a thing and they were looking into it and it took like two hours because they did not want to give me a new battery they did not want to, and they did in the end, thankfully. But I had like two hours to kill, and I had my Vita with me, and I said, Persona 4, I haven't played this yet, let me fire it up. And I played Persona 4 Golden right there for like two hours, and just, I was taken back by everything in there. Dude, because it's like, it's such like, I don't want to say it's like a comic book style, but it's that, it's like that very, very like, art. it's like very artistic, very bright, very colorful, very unique. There ain't nothing else like it. It was the, um, I think to me, one of the things that stuck out and even one of my friends, he saw me playing it once and we were both really surprised and impressed by this. Uh, the dub, the English dub was really solid on there. Oh, I, I, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I believe it, but I've never really noticed like, uh, a lot of my friends, they watch like animes in like, in Japanese with the subtitles and then like they like don't really like it when it's in English and I don't I don't sure. really understand that but 
dude, when I when I play like yeah, the English in those games is great. Like it's so awesome. So I don't know what mm-hmm. like people are complaining. I guess maybe that's just like for like a like an anime thing, not necessarily a video game thing. I don't know. But yeah, dude, it's it's awesome th- in those games. It is. It really is. I haven't played anything older than well, I I, I guess in depth because I've I've dabbled. I can say I can dabbled a little bit in like Persona One and Two, but not even enough to really say that I really gave them a full try and attention and play through them and such on there. Um, but yeah, no, I I know Persona Four, Persona Five, and you know Q and Arena. I personally loved how the English dub sounded on there. Yeah, dude, the characters sound badass. Yeah. They did a good job. Atlas can be trusted with that. Except for if you're going to be streaming it. Like, did you ever see um, the weird implementations they were trying to force onto creators? No, what are you talking about? So when Persona 5 came out, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were saying, like, don't stream it. And then, like, they wouldn't, like, you couldn't, like, with your capture card or something. Yeah, you you could not capture the game at all on PS4, but if you used a capture card, they said, hey, um, because it was very much Atlas US, they were saying, hey, look, we want you all to stream it, but our Japanese counterparts feel a little bit different about it. So we have this list of guidelines, which we can't really say is concrete or not, but they essentially said, you can play up to this point in the game, you can do gameplay as long as it falls under these criteria, and if you get past this part in the game, which let's say it was like the first five or ten hours, essentially if you streamed or recorded and shown any part past that, they said, hey, we can't guarantee your safety, but you might or might not get a strike on your channel, so please be careful. But we don't agree with this, us in the US. This is this is our Japanese counterparts. <laughs> you see... I kind of get that though. Why is that? For for so, you know, the Persona series has been has been going on for twenty years. It's a twenty year long series, and there's only five games, like five main entries, like you know, one, two, three, four, uh, five. Well, two got two, whatever. Five main entries, and um, sure. it's a it was a big production for them. And, like, they always have the most crazy, like, convoluted, like, buck-wild stories. They're really good stories. And they don't want it to be ruined for the people that want to experience it firsthand. I can understand their approach from that emotion. Like, I, I totally get that. The problem that people really had with it was the restrictions really going against fair use on there. Plus, when when you're dealing with that as well, too, it's like, well, if you're going to restrict Persona 5, why aren't you pres- restricting Persona 1, 2, 3, and 4? But then again, I'm, I'm of the belief none of them should have been restricted. Like, Nintendo's approach to it now with their games is, hey, look, as long as you're not just hitting record, uploading raw gameplay, and putting it out there, as long as you're doing some type of transformative piece, we'll let you do it. It's all good. So if it was just raw, uncut gameplay, if it was only cutscenes, I can understand that. But if it was just people like commentating, doing a Let's Play and such, that shouldn't have been restricted and touched. Yeah, because isn't that what hypes the game up to make people go buy it? Yeah, yeah. Not not only yeah, it's free advertising. It helps the, it helps with all that, but also it becomes you know transformative and fair use and such on there. So, 
it's yeah it's i i think with new games because there's persona 5 royal and there's persona 5 scramble i think they're trying to put those implementations back on with those but from what i know with the original persona 5 i i don't think they care anymore i think it's been enough oh, yeah, years yeah, yeah. past where you can stream past those and they they just don't care yeah i feel like that was just right when it came out for like you know they just didn't want it to get spoiled for the people that really wanted to play right of course, yeah. Well, at least that's why I think they would do all that stuff. I don't know why else. Because, <laughs> dude, like, I don't know, man. Even even with, um, don't you just hate it when, like, you're like, yo, man, I want to see this movie. And then somebody's like, oh, yeah, this character dies at the end. Like, I hate you. <laughs> you know? I'm Thankfully, I haven't had too many things spoiled in recent years, but... I can totally see where people come from on that. Me neither. Like, it hasn't really happened to me because I don't really watch too many movies or play too many games. But, (laughs) (laughs) and if you tell me how a game's going to end by the time that I go and play it, like, I'll probably forget whatever you told me. Because I know that's happened before. Sure. Sure. I've had, I've had plenty of games spoiled for me before. And typically when I get to that part that was spoiled for me, it still hits me and impacts me, and I still think it's cool. So, game spoilers don't typically mess with me. There, there are some games though. I kind of question the spoilers on there. Like for example, I think when Mario Odyssey was coming out, there was a bunch of leaked footage and spoilers and all that stuff. And I'm kind of like, how do you spoil a Mario game? Yeah, that's so funny that you just said that. That's so funny. <laughs> that's so funny because you can't. Yeah, I'm like, oh, cool, gameplay mechanics, maps, all that stuff, but, like, it's, and there is a story there, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, I don't know, it's not as big as, like, uh, spoiling a big RPG, like, spoiling, you know, big important parts in Persona 5, for example, that's just how I see it. Yeah, that that's so funny, you say, how can you really spoil a Mario game? <laughs> that made, that oh, made me think of another one, um... But I forgot. It's all good. Maybe this will jog memory. I don't know. Because this is, uh, I mean, we're, we've been talking about plenty of Sony. We've been talking about all the Mario stuff now here. But uh, the Nintendo PlayStation had sold. I know by the time this comes out, we're a little bit late talking about it. And this isn't, you know, a news thing. This is just something I wanted to discuss and kind of talk about. But, Paul, did you follow this at all? Gently. Okay. So so what do you know about it? I know it sold for like like a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good TLDR of it. And for anybody who didn't really follow, this was so way back when I'm gonna kinda butcher the story a little bit, but give a little bit of a TLDR here. Um the reason why the Sony PlayStation exists is because Sony was initially working with Nintendo to create a PlayStation that was going to be a CD-ROM-based add-on for the Super Nintendo and the Super Famicom. And then things didn't go 100% their way. In short, it was mainly Nintendo realized they weren't going to make money off of PlayStation games that were going to be utilizing their characters and properties and such and licenses. So they end up going to Philips, which Philips were the big competitors to Sony in terms of the CD-ROM stuff. That's how we got the awful games like Hotel Mario and the Zelda games on the Philips CDI. And then Sony pretty much had this system done. 
So they got angry and they kind of just retooled it into the Sony PlayStation. So if Nintendo never did that, we probably wouldn't have the PlayStation to thank here. It kind of came out of that soured relationship. But either way, there were several prototypes and of this specific one, to my knowledge, it's recorded that there were 200 of these specific Nintendo PlayStations that were made, and all of them are known to be destroyed except for one, which belonged to one of the higher-ups at, at, at Sony at the time, named Olaf Olafsson, and he ended up taking it to another company, and then when he left that company, he left it in a box, it eventually got sold to someone else, Terry, and then... It was rediscovered several years ago, and it's been toured all over the place. Um, but yeah, this was one of those things I was memeing on it a little bit. Because for anybody that doesn't know, apparently Terry was saying he, he's been up front since the beginning. He said, I'm touring this because, yeah, I want to show people, I want to share it with people, but I want to sell this thing. Like, when it's up for sale, I want to get, I want to retire off of this. I want some money for this. It was him and his son. And reportedly, he claimed that he was turning down million-dollar offers on this when he said it was up for sale, and he was wanting at least three million for it. So he turned down private offers, apparently. He took it to auction. It went up to Heritage Auctions. They were the ones who facilitated it. There were several people that bid on it, and in the end, I saw the live stream of this. It went, and this is this is not the um. Because total, it went for $360,000, but 60000 of that was the buyer's premium. So the buyer ended up paying 300000 for it. But it was so painful when I was in the live stream just watching that. And it was like they put it online for a month. And for the first like few days, there were a ton of bids on it, tons and tons of bids, and then just kind of stopped. And then it went, went to live auction at the end, which everyone was expecting that's where the big money was going to come. And then, no, there was one bid. It went from 280000 to 300000 The person who was auctioning it off seemed like he was in disbelief, but he ended the auction. He said $300,000, it sold. And that is so much less than so many people were thinking it would be worth. Dude, I bet you that dude's uh, kicking himself for turning down $1.4 million. But hey, man, that's what greed's going to get you. That's greed's going to get you. I mean, he, he really, it was a big, I, I can agree it was greed. Um, it was a big gamble either way. He was, of course, expecting, hey, there's a few people offering, so how about everyone offers and everyone can, you know, pool in, decide what they want to do? Like, I see what he was doing. He was expecting to get more money. At the same time, though, if there's only a few people that are offering this, like, that that money, that doesn't mean there's going to be a ton of people who do that. There's people who could rethink their decisions as well on there and retract their bids, which I know some people did do that because it was higher up. And then it ended up going back down before it was put on the show floor there. But another thing I had thought of as well, and I know um, Pat and Ian on the CU podcast, they mentioned this. I'm glad they did, but I was even thinking of this, is that right when this was selling, that's when there was, you know, right now the economy's not in the best shape. And that's when economic stuff was going on. So I'm sure there might have even been some people who had big money ready to go and they looked at it and they looked at the numbers, they looked at what was happening and they said you know what, it is not smart for me to spend half a million or 
three-fourths of a million or a million dollars on this thing, I think I'm just going to save my money. Yep. Agreed. Didn't, like, the owner of Oculus, like, um, didn't he bid on it? Wasn't he one? Yes, he had... Yeah, I want to say he had the highest bid. I think he took it up to 360000 and he came out and said, Hey, guys, I'm going to preserve this thing. I'm going to get all this stuff set up. That's me bidding on it. Nobody else try a bid on it. If you try and bid on it, I'll outbid you. But like I said, when it went up for auction for everybody, um, well, like, you know, the show floor and such, the auction floor, it was at two hundred eighty. So the dude had to retract his bids then he just i guess he decided at one point that no i'm not going to spend three hundred sixty thousand dollars on this (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i my other theory i have um paul did you ever see the nintendo playstation book that they were trying to get kick-started no Okay, so the cool thing about this is it's been fully documented. Like, Ben Heck has opened it up. He's taken tons of photos. Yeah, right? He's it. Yeah, they took it to China. It, it comes with a Super Famicom cartridge, which has the BIOS on there, like the Super CD BIOS. The BIOS has been dumped. Everything's at, like, this thing is as preserved and restored as it can be, which is excellent news. And most of that, if not all of it, is public information. But at one point... They ended up creating a book, which looked really cool. Like, it was a book all about the Nintendo PlayStation. Tons of beautiful photos, all that stuff. And they were kickstarting it. And the Kickstarter failed because, obviously, it it didn't make enough money to meet the minimum threshold on there. So, this thing was touted all these places, like, all over the world, all over the nation. And plenty of people, like, everybody would want to see it. But not a lot of people would want to buy it. And then... The book went up on Kickstarter, and it didn't make enough money to even, you know, do the minimum successful Kickstarter project on there. And then when this ended up happening, you know, they were saying this is worth at least a million dollars. It's worth at least three million. No, right now, 2020, the current moment in time, the market says this is worth $300,000. And that that isn't a small amount of money. It's a great sum of money to just suddenly have off something you barely paid anything for. But I think the big money and a lot of just the purchase power was never there to begin with. When you're not seeing seven fi- any, really anywhere close to seven figures when the actual device sells, but also when you can't successfully kickstart a book about this elusive device. Ooh, ooh, ouch. Oh, so right you're so right you're so right <laughs> yo i would love to see pictures of that man like the best thing about that was that you mentioned ben heck like getting to take it apart and like him figuring it out i love that dude that dude's great oh he's great he really is um but man like why wouldn't somebody like you know i got a buddy who's literally making um like vmu shells like from scratch like he's mm-hmm. um he's resin casting VMU shells by taking a an existing VMU shell, making a mold out of it out of silicone, and then pouring different types of resins. And he's like perfected like all these different types of resins to get it to feel the same as an original VMU, be the same color. He's doing the same thing with like uh, uh, NES controllers and a bunch of different stuff. Why couldn't somebody do that with this? Why couldn't we clone this thing? 
I, I do have one question on that. Is that Rourke that you're talking yeah. about? Okay, okay, I know who you're talking about then. Cool, shout out to Rourke. Yeah, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 but um, no, in terms of cloning it, we have, I mean, we have the bios, we have the photos and such on there. We don't have any casts, unfortunately, of it. I, I think, first of all, you would be running into a copyright issue just because, you know, you'd be circulating the bios and such off of there and redistributing uh. it for, for, you know, for sale. Um, so legally, that wouldn't really be the best because surprisingly, both companies have been really cool about it. Like, this is, even though it's the Nintendo PlayStation, this is mostly Sony's deal. And neither of them have really commented about it. Neither of them have tried to stop sales. Neither of them have sent legal paperwork to Terry, from what I know. So both companies have kind of just turned a blind eye to all this and been really cool. But if there's clones of this that start going out, that's where there's going to be more of an issue. Especially because, I mean, family clones and super family clones are nothing new by any means. But this is a full working super Famicom with a CD-ROM add-on built in. So you're directly, you know, cloning Nintendo hardware and, and Sony hardware and code at that point. And then I think even, you know, several of the chips and such that are on there, I don't know if the code that was burned on those chips and such has been dumped, like, you know, for, for the public. Like, right, imagine if, like, you could just buy one of these things and, like, imagine if indie developers were developing games for it. It's essentially Super Nintendo, but, like... Uh, but like the disc based games I don't know so so here's the thing your dream actually came true that actually happened wait what yeah so at one point they the first big trip this thing took is they took it to China and shortly after it was x-rayed and checked out and everything in China the bios leaked out online to no surprise but homebrew developers ended up taking this and they were then able to develop Nintendo PlayStation CD-ROM games, and they could only emulate them because, you know, there's only one of these in the world. But if you see Ben Heck's full teardown and restoration and repair of this, at the end, once it's all up and running, he actually burns off some of those homebrew games and for the first time ever plays Nintendo PlayStation games on a Nintendo PlayStation. <laughs> I have nothing to say. My mind is blown. <laughs> Dude, the, the homebrew community is a beautiful thing at times. Man, I would love that, man. <laughs> Even just like like a shell, like I don't know. I feel if this dude wanted to make some money off this, I feel like I know, I'm sure he probably made a lot of money off of it. He went to touring all over the world for it. Actually, probably had to spend a lot of money to get this thing out there. But it's cool. It's a. That's actually the. Yeah, I, I was going to say, that's actually the thing. He, th This was a little bit of a sticking point. Apparently, when they interviewed Terry, he said that he's lost a bunch of money on there. And he, he said something like, yeah, after all the fees and taxes and splitting this 50-50 with my son, um, I'm going to have enough money to pay off my debts, but that's it. Like, I'm not retiring off of, you know, what I made off the sale. But, yeah, from what I know, I, I don't think there would have been any paid appearances of this. I really don't think so. Because typically event organizers, when they invite these people, they'll invite, like, they'll pay for your flight, they'll pay for your lodging, they might give you a food, you know, Free daily board, stipend basically. or something. Exactly, yeah, but it's, with someone like like Terry with the Nintendo PlayStation, 
and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but I, I really don't think they're going to, you know, pay thousands of dollars for him and his console to have a specific appearance. They'll, they'll pay for all of his, you know, his travel, his lodging, his food, um, but they wouldn't do like a paid appearance, I would think. Yeah, convention centers are very expensive to rent out. Yes, they like, are. <laughs> uh, depending on the venue, it could be anywhere from like 20000 to $50,000 per four hours. Really? Jeez. Yeah, like, um, and that, that depends on the size and, and the mm-hmm. location as well. And I'm sure they could even be, uh, some different ones could be a little bit more, or some could be a little bit less. But that's usually like how they mm-hmm. charge. Yeah, I haven't been to any, unfortunately, like any real big gaming convention. So, and then at that point, I don't really know the convention owner. So I don't know the, you know, all the monetary stuff behind that. But I have no doubt that they're real expensive. I mean, you know, pay, you could pay for, if you're doing it in, uh, in succession, like a, like a convention that's been going on for, you know, a couple of years, typically like the profits that they have from the previous year, they put into it towards the next year. And then also they get to end up eventually saving money on advertising because after it's a kind of established and people know about it and know of its existence, uh, it's just sort of just reminding people. Agreed. Yeah, there's stuff like, uh, I know, like Portland Retro Gaming Expo, Too Many Games. Uh, These are expos that they're just known all over the Mm -hmm. place. And of course, like Comic-Con, you don't have to advertise for Comic-Con. You just announce that it's happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you eventually start saving on it. But yeah, no, they're expensive. So for them to just be like, yeah, I want this, you know, I want this thing to be there. I have to pay money for it. Yeah. And I think I, I don't even know, you know, because I'm, I'm not an accountant. I'm not a finance person. I don't know the details of this, but I would think that even with flying guests out and accommodating them and giving them a food stipend and such, I'm sure when it comes down to the taxes and such, they're able to expense a lot of that to an extent and say, yeah, this is a guest. They had to come out here. We paid for their travel. So this is a valid business expense mm-hmm. to some extent. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. So, I like, I like dev kit style oh, stuff. I always want to like mess around with like a dev kit or, or have like, um, have a dev kit be like my daily driver of like a game system. <laughs> you know, you've seen those PS2 tool that's exactly kids, right? what I'm thinking about when I'm, when I'm saying yeah this. a giant ass PS2 looking PC I love those dude my buddy has one and I saw so I got to see one in real life it's like the size of a like a it's a computer tower they're huge yeah yeah it's like hey what if my tower what if I wanted a computer that looked like a PS2 and that's what it is it's beautiful Yo, so so this is making me think of those PS5 um, dev kits that, pictures that got leaked which is then making me Think about you see that Xbox Series <laughs> X released all the specs for like their stuff and like there's already people like taking it apart like uh, on YouTube today I think I saw like three notifications for for like uh, Xbox Series X I don't even know what it's called but the new one Series X yeah yeah I, I will say the thing that annoys me about that is I don't like the form factor of the retail Series X the one that looks like a little mini fridge mm-hmm. I don't like that I don't like how it looks I'm not crazy about that. But in those videos, 
I've just seen screenshots of them. I haven't seen any video to an extent yet. In those videos, however, uh, because there's these influencers and such that are being invited to Microsoft's campus to check these out, you can actually see the dev kits of the Series X. And the dev kits look like upgraded Scorpio dev kits. So that confirms two things to me. One of them is that the Series X is just a super insanely ultra-powerful Xbox One, which I think that's what these systems need to go for. Like, you already have everything established, you bring everything forward thanks to backwards compatibility, and then any next-gen, ninth-generation stuff will just exclusively work on that more powerful hardware. So that confirms that for me. The other thing it confirms is that they didn't have to go with the mini-fridge design. They could have just gone with the same form factor or the same design shape as a Scorpio, like a, a Xbox One X, and I would love that. Like, I like the Xbox One X. I like how it looks. I like how it fits in my entertainment center. I don't like how the Series X retail is going to be. So that's actually one of those few systems I'd be like, no, I would love, if there was an option to have the dev kit shell, essentially, with a retail system that I could buy, I would get that version of it because I like that form factor more because of the space and because it's not an awkward shape. Yeah, but that awkward shape stands out and gets people's attention because it's out of the norm. So maybe it'll increase sales. It's not. It's, <laughs> that, is, that is not going to stand out in my house. I'm putting that shit behind my TV when I get the Series X in, uh, at one point. <laughs> I was trying to be like, no, no, it's going to help. It's going to help. You were just like, no. Yeah, no. And then we don't know what the hell the PS5 looks like. But yeah, eh, we'll see. I hope to God it doesn't look like those dev kits. It, it won't. Sony has a... So, so Microsoft has a history of their dev kits will, aside from like the Power Mac G5 and the Alpha Xbox dev kits, their dev kits typically look like slightly beefier retail models, which is fine. But Sony always has a history of their dev kits are fucking huge, and their test kits are just the same form factor as a retail system, except it says test somewhere. Yep, yep. I've seen that on, <laughs> on the PS2, the PS3, where it'll say test. Uh, I've seen them in the box and like yeah. the debugging stations. The debugging units look just like like the, the regular system. But yeah, their dev kit's always some monstrosity that's absolutely ridiculous. So Yeah, which I find that to be beautiful. I'm like, and, and also it's dev hardware, so it doesn't really matter at that point. It's like it doesn't matter if this is big and heavy and ugly. You're developing stuff on it. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So. I hope to God that's the dev. Sony has been incredibly quiet about this whole thing. So when Microsoft just came out today and was like, Microsoft's probably like, you know what? You know what? We know Sony's been quiet. We know you all have questions. Boom! Here's all everything we got. So I was like, that's a power move by Xbox. <laughs> but maybe, maybe Sony, maybe that's exactly what Sony wanted Xbox to do. Maybe that's why they were quiet. Let's have Xbox spill their beans first. And then like, you know what I mean? Maybe that was Sony. Sony's yeah. uh, combat. Do you think these companies are playing a marketing game of chess with one another, or do you think our speculation turns it into a game of chess? I think they're probably playing chess with one another. I know the speculation is more fun to think of, but I think they're playing chess with one another. One another, kind of like with the. Uh, 
with how kind of going back to this how sony completely obliterated the xbox one launch with the ps4 and then did, did you ever see the tutorial they released on how to share games on the ps4 no Oh, dude, it's it's one of the greatest videos. So it's official from Sony. It came out right after the announcement of the PS4, and it was how to share used games because that was the big thing with the Xbox One. And it's like this beautiful intro and everything, and it's just two of the higher-ups, and one of them passes a PS4 disc to the other, and they both look at the camera and say, thanks, and that's it. And the, just like a little 39-second clip like that just completely obliterates everything. That's so... Um... Wow. They, Sony had a whole lot of fun marketing the PS4 back in 2013, I can say that. But I will agree with you, they've been suspiciously quiet. However, to, to Microsoft's credit, which I think this is good, I think, I really like this. They fucked up so hard launching the Xbox One and then changing over from Don Matrick to Phil Spencer. No, from, no, excuse me, from Phil Spencer. No, it's... No, Phil's the new guy, yeah. From Don Magic to Phil Spencer, and he's really been trying to fight for the Xbox One and get it out there and, you know, trying to do a lot of good for these owners and prospective owners for this system and the next-gen system and such. Um, they, I think they just, they fucked up so badly from the initial rollout of it and the initial announcement that their thing since mainly the, the Scorpio, you know, the One X, since that was announced was... I think they just wanted to be as transparent as possible. Because, like, the One X, for example, like, a year and a half before the system came out, they're like, hey, this is how the system looks. This is what developers are saying about it. This is the hardware. These are all the specs. And this is when it's coming out. And I think at this point, Microsoft is just saying, like, we need to be as transparent as possible to be like, look, we are trying to make this the best experience for you all. Please critique us and let us know if there's something we're doing wrong here. You know, um... Kind of like learning from learning from their mistakes and trying to improve. Yeah. Oh, you cut out there, but you were saying learn from their mistakes. Oh, yeah. Like learn from their mistakes and try to improve. Yeah. And I respect that. Yeah. I do too. You, That's all I we know want. you've taken apart every Xbox, right? Uh, I would... OG I've, Slim. I've partially taken apart X. a One X. I've fully taken apart a One before. Yeah, those are the the one I'm just not really into. But the the other systems, yeah, sure. So <laughs> you notice like the similarities between the systems throughout their entire line of generations, from the OG Xbox all the way up. Like you see and feel the similarities, right? I would say so. Yeah, there's there's some similarities. And then there. you notice like all the little improvements that they do to the system. Um, first, like, dude, I'll never forget, like, when the Xbox, uh, when I first took apart an Xbox One, I was like, this is the biggest heat sink I've ever seen in a gaming system. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Microsoft was like, yeah, man. All right. So that red ring, like, never again. Like, make it the biggest heat sink we got. So yeah. it's just, like, interesting yeah. and funny to see, to see things like that. Um, Sony, uh, same thing. If you if you take apart like one of those PS uh, PS3 Fats versus like a PS3 Slim, complete and utter redesign of the entire system. Like yep. it's not how like like a complete redesign. And if you take apart a PS4, it's a lot similar to the PS3 Slim. 
not a lot similar, but you can see more similarities. It's not like a brand new system. It's like they kind of went off that because after, you know, the mistakes they made with the PS3 fat where, um, unfortunately, you know, Xbox mopped the floor with Sony that generation, um, you know, Sony had to make some Until improvements. It- yeah, until at the very end, at the very end, Sony did come back. So, like, just by a slight hair, uh, the PS3 did sell better in the end than the 360. Yeah, isn't it, like, by, like, it's, like, 300,000 more units or something? It's it's something, like, it's it's within a million, yeah. And th- at the very end, they caught up. But, yeah, again, it's like, well, I, I can't really think of that many people that had five PS3s. <laughs> <laughs> I really hated the the super super slim design, but uh, oh, you're ta- you're talking about I, I got one of them next to me right here. You're talking about the one where that is just like ugly looking and it slides open mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, I fucking hate the super slim. Yeah. Even though I, as I said, I have it right here. And it, I mean, it's it's lightweight, and I use it for you know like my PS3 hen stuff. So in that capacity, it works. But I I hate the form factor of this mm-hmm. thing. And uh, I don't know, I just think it's really interesting to like look at the revisions of different gaming systems throughout their history, see how they improve things, see where they change. Um, Xbox, I always find, I find the most similarities within all of the Xbox systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, when you're talking about the Xbox One, it wasn't so much the heatsink that really um, was big for me, even though it is physically big there. Um, it's the system itself, and I know it's memed on quite a bit, but I was a supporter of this, at least from the beginning. Like, the original Xbox, it's just a custom PC built into a shell, essentially. And when you take that apart, you can easily see that. Then the 360, of course, they revised it and all that stuff, but they were trying to pack as much stuff as they could in the fat form factor. And then it's funny because the Xbox, like, this is something, even during that generation, I had said, and other friends, you know, we were all talking about this. We said, if they made the 360 bigger, like, if they made the 360 as big as a desktop PC, it probably wouldn't have had many hardware fault issues, many general hardware failures. But nobody would have really wanted to buy it because it'd be fucking huge. So they wanted to compress it down and put pack as much as they could into that smaller form factor. The Xbox One, though, they said... Absolutely not. We did this shit seven, eight years ago. We really fucked up here. Because if you, I mean, just think about it. When you open up your Xbox One, like the original VCR one, when you open it up, there's a ton of dead space in there. Because they wanted that thing to breathe. They didn't want to compress a damn thing in that system because they did not want to repeat. Yup, 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 yup. Yup, which which I, and I can value that. Coming off the 360, they're like, we can't fuck this up. And and to their credit, the, the Xbox One, I would say, like the... The original one, although it is memed on for being a VCR and such, it's a pretty trusty system. I um, dude, I wish I I I never released this video, but um, it was it was an Xbox One. It was the Forza edition. It was like a blue one. And I got it for like dumb yeah. cheap because it just wouldn't work. And um, I wanted to play Killer Instinct, the new one. I love Killer Instinct. I wanted to play it, so I bought this cheap Xbox that was broken, and um. I went to plug it on or whatever, and then it just didn't work. And then um, I was like, you know what? I don't have time to fix it right now. Let me put it down. And then like I revisited in like a couple months. I plugged it back in to, to see like what's not working to try to diagnose it. And it just worked. 
And I was like, oh my God, nice. I just got like an Xbox for like 50 bucks or whatever. Like, this is awesome. And then it like died on me. I was like, <laughs> okay, I probably should have just opened it up. I was like, let me open this thing up. And I think I actually did... Um, no, I did a video about how to open the Xbox One X, but not this one. It was a different one. And uh, so I okay. opened this one. Dude, I, I I don't know. I Maybe I posted on Instagram a picture of it. It was like black tar on the motherboard. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. And my joke, I don't know. I'm sure you have a joke when you open consoles and they're dirty, but mine is Coca-Cola and Cheetos. You know, somebody just... Somebody just ate Cheetos over this game system and just poured Coca-Cola on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just thinking of when you were saying, like, we might have a joke on that. This one we didn't even have to open. So I, in high school, I worked at a game shop for a few years, and I did not see this system. But we had one friend of the store who was just a filthy individual, and he traded in uh, his Xbox 360, the pro unit, you know, the, the, the fat white one, you know, you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? Just like visualize it. Apparently the cables for it, cause we bought it, but the cables were so nasty that they threw away the cables and the power supply. <laughs> and my manager insists he thought that it was an elite model. Oh my God. Yeah. One, one of the black systems. Oh and I, I never saw the system, but I, I believe he only exaggerated maybe like a little bit on there based on this guy. <laughs> oh my god. I can only imagine. Dude, I, t- I did a job of fifty um, fixing 50 Xbox 360 controllers. Yo, some of those were the worst I'd ever seen. But keep in mind, like that was online gaming at its peak for console yeah. gaming. That was, yep. that was it. Like Everybody was playing that online. Uh, Call of Duty was huge, or I don't even know if it's Call of Duty, but like online shooters, the one that whatever the one that had the zombies, those are games are huge. Yeah. So every controller was just Coca Cola and Cheetos on the inside, <laughs> and nobody was washing their damn hands. Not at all. And but that Xbox One man, it was so it was so gross. It it was literally black tar, and basically I couldn't figure out. For the video, I didn't know what to do to make the video because basically it was like all I did was clean it and it worked. I don't know how or why cleaning this black tar off the motherboard made the system work better. And I don't know what was the – like what can I turn that video into? The importance of cleaning your consoles occasionally. The importance of don't spill Coca-Cola on your game systems and do nothing about it and then sell it to me for cheap 20 years later. I don't know. You know? Yeah, I, I think you have a few good video ideas there. If you still have the raw footage for that, it might be worth turning into some. That sounds really entertaining. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. Why right. not? You, you you did all the work already. I need to add some Xbox content to my to my channel. You know, I have all of two Xbox videos, maybe three or four <laughs> out sure. of like an entire channel, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not, nothing wrong with tossing some more stuff in the mix. Yeah, right. Yeah. So this is, uh, I, I guess, for our last topic here, I, I always either talk about this myself or if I have a guest on, I always ask this before we outro out. But, uh, Paul, 
what games have you been playing right now that you want to talk about? Any, I guess, either you want to talk about more that you haven't talked about. So the first thing I want to mention before I answer this question is I want to say that between starting a business about selling like mod chips and like t-shirts and like video game related stuff and and start like a YouTube channel about modding, by doing those two things, basically playing video games went out the window. Sure. It's, it's so funny how that works. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I did a live stream um, for, like, a year and a half every Tuesday where I beat every single Resident Evil game because I'd never played any of them before. Um, but other than that, I really didn't play games for, like, the past, like, three, four years. And um, I shut my business down because I completely got rid of my website, stopped modding for people, and just turned it into just YouTube. And only recently... Have I been able to start playing games again? Like within the past, uh, like four, five, six months. Sure. And it's amazing. I beat I beat Dragon's Crown. I hundred percented it, and then I beat Parasite Eve two, and um, nice. And now I'm playing Crisis Core, and uh, it's amazing. Oh, I beat Shattered uh, Memories, Silent Hill. Uh, which oh that was the uh that was the kind of weird remake but not remake of the first one right yeah uh yes yeah I know you where about. like if you played it on the Wii you like the flashlight in Silent Hill was like the Wii mote yes so my buddy I have a Wii I have the component cables to like play it like really nice and like all that jazz he he gave me the game and then he was like here I want you to play this and experience it in the best possible quality so what I did. Was when I got my Vita, I um, t- I put I played the PSP version and beat it of Vita, <laughs> which is you know kind of watered down from you know the Wii experience. But um, I don't know, it was great. Right on. So that's basically it. I, I just beat Parasite Eve two, phenomenally awesome game. It was so sick, such a sick game. Final boss was really, really hard. Way harder than the rest of the game. Game wasn't even that hard. You get to the final boss, and I was like, damn. It took me like a week to beat it. And then um, and I moved on to Crisis Core. And that's it. That's what I've been playing. What about you? Right on. Right on. That's that's real cool to hear. I, I personally liked uh, Parasite Eve 2 more than the first Yo, one. Yo, me too, so. kind of. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, I And I still haven't played... Uh, have you played the third birthday? I still haven't played... I own it, but I have not Yo, played that yet. Yo, I, for some reason, like... I love that game. I've um, I've tried to play it so many times, and basically every single time I tried to play it, like something happened where I could never like play it. And uh, this is the most. The, I I just transferred it to my Vita for my PS TV, because um, mm-hmm. oh, which is such a great thing if you have a hacked PS TV and a hacked Vita, you could just swap save files back and forth and play it on the TV. Oh, yeah. I love it. But um, this game is from actually like a year ago. And I'm just going to pick up the save file and just continue it. Um, right on. But it's kind of a trash game, but it's kind of awesome at the same time. Like, it's nowhere near as good as Parasite Eve 1 or 2. It's very nothing much like them, um, except for it's, like, kind of in the same universe, sort of-ish. Not really. It's like way exaggerated. You ever see like a like a like a like a, a movie series where they just keep making movies and then just they get to like number seven and it's just so ridiculous it's not even good anymore. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. That was uh, Terminator 3 for me. Tomb Raider 3? No, Terminator Oh, three. yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ter- at, at times, it felt like an episode of Family Guy, oh, where it's like, all right, hey, we're being chased, and oh, great, there's a giant fucking plane that crashed into this Terminator. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what the third birthday is, but as a standalone game, if you just delete Parasite Eve from your mind, it's I like it. Like I think it's a lot of fun, especially playing it on a Vita, or the PSTV, so you can, like, bind, you know, so you can use dual analog sticks. Sure, sure. But yeah, I like it. I'm having, I, I have fun with it, even though I never beat it, but I'm going to. Right on. Yeah, I need to fire that up at one point, but I, I need to play through Pyrocyte Eve 1 and 2 first before I do that. Give them, like, fair, full playthrough start to finish. Dude, there's, there, it's so cool. It's like... It's like survival horror, but like um, RPG. It's like easy survival horror, basically. Yeah. Did Did you hear about what um, one of the developers behind Final Fantasy VII Remake said about that? Yeah, it would be a waste to not remake those games. Yes, I hope that is a big hint of what might be to come. Dude, when they did like the first, like you know, they threw they threw the main character from Parasite Eve into one of the um, like uh, like a Final Fantasy VII remake poster or something like that i don't know yeah something like that like that was like a while ago as like a little hint i hope so yeah we'll see i'd I'd love to see more Mm -hmm. parasite eve come out at one point but we just have to wait and see What, what you've been playing so let's see i've pretty much only been playing on switch for the most part but i do have a few things here uh i ended up randomly picking up doom because I'm I'm not super excited about Doom Eternal coming out. Like, n- not to say anything bad about it, it's just that I'm not picking it up here anytime soon. But because of Doom Eternal coming out, uh, on the eShop, they were selling Doom 1 and 2 for a buck fifty, and Doom 3 for $3. So I bought all of those for 5 bucks in total. And I've been playing through the first Doom, and it's so damn fun. I, I've never gotten this far in it. Like, I've beaten some of the campaigns on here, but it's really fun. I very much enjoyed that. Um, I end up finishing up Steins Gate Elite, which have have you heard of or watched or played Steins Gate nope. before? Never heard of it. So, it's a visual novel, um, like traditional visual novel and such that people would think of, and it started out on the xbox 360 of all things which surprised me but it was japan only and of course since it's a visual novel it was only in japanese and then from the visual novel they made an anime and then recently they made steins gate elite which is the visual novel with scenes from the anime as opposed to traditional visual novel art style which I've liked because, it, you know, it's a lot more visual. There's stuff moving on screen. It's easier for the eyes, so to speak. So I finished that. Absolutely loved it. And then the other game I finished here pretty recently, and I, I didn't talk about this one in the last episode, so I'll talk about it here. Um, have you ever heard of, of Gone Home? Mm-mm. So this one of those games I, I wanted. I saw it on my radar for a bit. I picked up a physical copy of it months ago on Switch and did not touch it. So I saw it on sale at one point and it was like $7.50 or so digitally. And for whatever reason, that prompted me to finally try it out. So I didn't rebuy it, but I did take my physical cart, I popped it in, 
And I don't want to say that much about it because it is pretty much all story. But it was great. I want to play through it again just so I I know what's going to happen and I can kind of reset my mind because I, I guess I'll put it like this. I went into it, like the the leading, the, the startup, the atmosphere, it feels like a survival horror game. So I spent half of the game freaked out and anxious thinking that I was going to get attacked or something and that's not what it is even though it feels like a survival horror game so that's why I kind of want to go in there with a reset expectation but it's one of those games it is best to play it blind just the the least you know about it the better not everyone's going to like it it's a short game you can finish I finish it in like two hours or so so you can and and I recommend finishing it in one sitting if you can I paused for like five minutes just to run to the bathroom and get a drink, but aside from that, I finished it just the first night I picked it up. Absolutely loved it. Just one of those games that I've had sitting on the shelf. I didn't know all too much about it, and it completely surprised me when I fired it up. That's I love that. I like that. That's that's great to hear. Like that was really good to hear. Yeah, like, I really like the the way that that sounds. I Google imaged it while you were telling me about it. I couldn't help it. You got me intrigued. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Dude, if, if, if you can find it for a decent price, I'd recommend picking it up and give it a shot. Again, it's like, it's like a two-three two, two three-hour game, so you either like it or you don't like it, but it doesn't take that long to finish. It gave me a, um, it gave me like a, uh, like a, like a PT vibe. Uh, I would say so. PT, I mean, you're definitely, you're getting attacked. It's definitely scary and such on there. Um, but like, this is, this is not like Just kind of like obscure angles of like the interior of a house yes yep it's like what made me think of like tt that makes sense yeah the hallway (laughs) is it only on switch yeah and then uh no it's on switch it's on pc uh i believe it's on ps4 and xbox one um but it's at minimum on on pc as well and you don't really need a powerful pc to run it so you should be all good no dope yeah yeah, and then the uh, the last game I did not finish this. I'm playing through it right now. Is uh, AI the Somnium Files, and this is another game I'd picked up, I think shortly after it launched, and it seemed real interesting. Um, I don't want to spoil all too much about it, but essentially you are a detective of sorts working for the de- police department, and um, you're handling things your own way and it deals with AI. It deals with some other stuff and it's definitely like a mystery visual novel type thing, except a lot more interactive than others. So it's kind of like the, it's almost like for interactivity kind of on the same level as a telltale game, except there's a lot more, you know, a lot more detail that you can pick up and such. Uh, it's fantastic so far. I like the art style. I like the music. I like the characters on there. I'm only like two hours in, but it's one of those games that kind of a bit of a sleeper hit. It came out, it really didn't get that much attention, but everyone who's played it has said very high praise about Art it. Art style's dope. I Google imaged it. Yeah. Did it. Sometimes, I, oh, dude, that's what I do. I'll Google image things and be like, do I like this? Do I not like it? Okay, let's see. No, the art style definitely looks dope on that one. Mm-hmm. For sure. Interesting. So, yeah, if it's something that either you or anybody else listening might be interested in, show some interest, I definitely recommend playing it so far. It's been really great. Yeah. 
So I guess on here, that's pretty much all I had for this. So Paul, to uh, to outro you out here, where can people find you online? Oh, yo, just type retro gaming arts into into YouTube, into Instagram, into Facebook, which I don't ever really use, or Twitter. You could type retro gaming arts into Twitter. I don't really use that one much either. Um, mainly YouTube, just type retro gaming arts. Right on. And on the uh, the video upload here on YouTube, I'll have your. Um, I can put up like your Instagram and your YouTube uh, in the description there because I know you're you're really active on Instagram. I know you like Instagram. So basically, I'm just trying to switch everybody over from, uh, like I said, I shut my business down, and I was having like a lot mm-hmm. of like problems where like basically the people that wanted to connect with me on Facebook were all it was all about my business, uh, like you know like hey can I send you a console to mod and I didn't really it was so much of that. That like people from like YouTube who like had a question about like, you know, they're doing a mod and they like had a question about it. Like I, they couldn't, I couldn't even like get any of their messages on because sure. it was all just, you know what I'm saying? So I wanted to like create a place where, or like go to a place where I could like be able to, I don't know, help or answer questions like that. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. I also, I, I don't know, to me, I always see, like, your photos and videos pop up online. It looks like you have a lot of fun on there showing off what you work on. Yeah, it's, and also, like, a little behind the scenes of, like, the YouTube channel, too. You know what I'm saying? For sure, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a preview, but either way, yeah, I'll put those down. So, again, you know, Paul, thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate you, and uh, this is this definitely been a fun conversation. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, of course, like, don't thank me. Thank you. Like, this was awesome. I get to just chill and talk <laughs> to you for, like, a while about, like, whatever video game randomness. Like, dude, it's awesome. Like, I had a blast. Are you kidding me? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I. that's why I like doing this. I like having a blast with it. I appreciate it very much, though. Yeah. It's all good, man. I One last thing I have from you. Typically, for anybody who's made it to the end, I always like to do a keyword. And if I have a guest, I toss it over to them. So, Paul, if if there's some... What what keyword should someone use? So, if they use it in their comment, we'll know that they made it to the end of this podcast. I love this idea. I love this idea. I love this idea. What was the guy's name when we were talking about the PSP unpacking file that I found? And I should uh, Dark Alex. Dark Alex. Is that a good one? Or could they just randomly say it when you said it earlier? Be like Dark Alex. Who's gonna do that though? Who's gonna know that that would be the keyword? I think some people might do that, but it's gonna be pretty slim. No, I think that's a good one. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we'll go with that. So te- I guess technically not would be one word because his username was all one. So it's dark underscore Alex. If you use that in the comments on the YouTube upload, we will know that you made it to the end of this, and we'll be looking out for that. I, I love that. I'm gonna. I love that. I love that. That I love that. <laughs> that was so brilliant. You're so awesome. Well, perfect. We're we're bringing Dark Alex back for this. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you for listening and watching, everyone, and until next time.